0: You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen.
1: Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere Today we're talking with plaintiff's attorney Kevin Ruff. Kevin is a partner at the LA firm of Glancy, Prongay, and Murray, and has the distinction of having successfully argued the Lee v. Dynamics case before the California Supreme Court. The dynamics case uh, court opinion was published in 2018 and created shockwaves across California because it altered long-standing California laws regarding the classification of independent contractors and established the new abc classification test kevin's going to be sharing his insights into the dynamics case and his thoughts on ab5 the california legislation that was enacted in 2019 codifying sort of dynamics and its abc test it's going to be a great show don't go away we'll be right back
0: the opinions expressed by guests on workplace perspective do not necessarily reflect those of sapphire legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice you're listening to workplace perspective An employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal.
1: Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Kevin Ruff.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Kevin, I'm so excited to have you on. I I have just been, I've followed this case and AB5 and I'm so excited to talk with you. But before we get started, uh, I want to make sure that you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do.
2: Well, as you said, you know, we mostly do uh, plaintiffs' uh, class action stuff. I, I'm actually kind of a generalist in that area. We do consumer stuff. Uh, we do a lot of security stuff. And then um, over the the years, it's kind of become sort of a little side area that, that I've uh, been mostly involved in, um, which is the labor class action stuff. And uh, along with, by the way, very impressive, pronunciating, uh, pronouncing dynamics properly. That was impressive. Um, <laughs> along with dynamics, I, I, I also argued the Smith versus L'Oreal case, which was uh, about waiting time penalties and the definition of discharge uh, in the Supreme Court of California. So um, I've been really lucky. You know, I've, I've gotten um, cases into the Supreme Court. Um, kind of, you know, as, as, as you can imagine, you never know wh- where things are going to end up. And I've just been lucky to be there twice.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, attorneys go their whole careers and never get to argue at that level. So to be able to do it twice is really amazing and not bad for a side act, I got to tell you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> the funny thing about it is, uh, it, you know, we have had our firm has had some really interesting cases in the labor area from a, you know, an appellate perspective. But it's amazing, you know, how many of my friends in the same area of law have made so much more money than we ever have. Um, I'll t- I'll actually, in, in that in in that area, you know, a, a funny little anecdote. Um, when when we won the um, dynamics decision, or you know, one, I mean, it sort of um, I guess uh, you know not exactly proper to say we won the, the case. We we got a great decision, but the case continued, and it was funny that so many of my friends would call me up and go, "Oh my God, I just settled a case for thirty million dollars." thanks to your case, thank you, I just settled a case for $50 million, thanks to your case. And then, by the way, how's that case going? Well, uh, we've been litigating it for 15 years, and, you know, <laughs> we did finally settle it, and it, you know, settled for $6.25 million, so, uh, you know, which was great, and the, the drivers got a great result, but um, in terms of, you know, the pure business part of it, you can imagine – um, multiple lawyers on that case, uh, 15 years, 6.25 million, you know, was not a um, an amazingly profitable case, but it was amazing to work on. I would never, you know, trade it for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that, that the case was originally filed. What was it, 2005?
2: You know, I rounded it up. I mean, I think it was 2006 it was first filed. Um, we actually had filed, my, my firm had filed a case. Uh, unbeknownst to us on top of another firm um mark pope and uh, pope berger and williams they had already been litigating it you know for a couple of years when we filed and then when we jumped on top of it they had just come back from the appellate court on a bad decision on class certification um and then you know the rest is history you know we litigated it from there and then um, got close to trial and then found ourselves back in the appellate court and then won there. And then, of course, um, Dynamics uh, petitioned the Supreme Court and um, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll look at that.
1: Well, it's, it's amazing. It's just for the fact that it's just whether you, it's right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever side you come down on, it's still pretty amazing. Um, you know, to change the significance uh, of the case across California has just been amazing. Um, yeah. Do me a favor. Tell me some, tell us some, tell us some interesting stuff about the case just to begin with. Um, maybe a little, a well, little bit of background. We're kind of, we're coming up on it, which it's so short of time. I want to talk to you for such a long time. We can't, but I yeah. want to hear some, some, a little bit of the background on the case, some, a little bit of insight uh, into the case from your perspective.
2: Yeah, I'll try to give an executive summary. You know, there's so much, of course, you can talk about with 15 years. But, you know, what, I think what would be interesting, especially if, if lawyers are out there listening, is that it, it, you know, was one of those cases that kept on sort of, you know, unveiling new, new aspects. And um, the one that really drove the Supreme Court um, case was this question of individualized issues that we so often face in class actions. And the fact that our um, trial judge, who would already denied certification years earlier, had kind of made it clear that he was having some concerns about different ways that different drivers had been treated by the company and feeling like, kind of gave us a preview that he was going to have issues with certification because of these, these so-called individualized issues. And, and my um, partner in crime on the case, not my partner in my firm, but uh, but a partner at a different firm, at Pope Burger Williams in um, San Diego, Mark Pope is an absolutely stellar lawyer, one of the great guys I've ever met in law. Um, He'd been looking at uh, at Martinez v. Combs, uh, which was a recent Supreme Court decision, and that had talked about how the wage orders under California law have these alternative definitions of what it is to employ somebody, and one of those was really broad. It was to suffer or permit the provision of service, right? So, boy, that's about as broad as you can imagine. You know, how who's going to be left out if if you merely have to allow somebody to provide you a service, and now you're employing them? And, of course, that's kind of how the defense saw that all along in our case. You know, we, we then said, well, that is an alternative definition. Let's ask the court to certify at least based on that because, every single driver you know was treated the same with respect to sufferer or permit and to our surprise the trial court said oh yeah that that works suffer or permit sounds good and then we ended up in the appellate court and um i kept on i was always a naysayer i, I argued both cases and so the first one was the appellate court and i kept on saying to our guys you know they're going to ask me these hard questions they're going to say how is suffer or permit any kind of standard at all. I mean, when I walk into a barbershop, aren't I suffer permitting that person to cut my hair? And how am I not then their employer? And I imagined all this stuff. And the reality was we showed up in the appellate court and the appellate court was sort of sanguine about the whole thing and kind of accused the other side of henny penny. The sky is falling. But no, you know, this is okay. This is a this is a standard suffer permit. So, you know, they, of course, on the other side, immediately, Asked the Supreme Court to review it and said this is no standard at all. This can't be, and the Supreme Court takes it. And to be honest, I assumed that the Supreme Court would have some issues with um, a broad standard like suffer or permit. And you know, I kept on asking our. We had a great brain trust. We had people. Um, Michael Rubin at Schiller Bertozon got involved as a um, as a um, an amici and um, Monique, um, I think of her last name, um, uh, was another really vital part of our our group. Um, and you know, I kept on asking, well, how am I going to ask, answer that hard question of what exactly does this mean in the real world to real people with real jobs? I mean, you can imagine that Sapphire does a lot of consulting. You can imagine, you know, what you're, um, well, (laughs) you probably already know. I mean, they're already, you know, having
0: issues, but at least (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know, the ABC test came along. And so the, the funny thing was we never, on our side, actually identified ABC as how we would get to define the or permit prong. And we were about two months away from oral argument, and we got this request for letter briefing. And effectively, the Supreme Court said, you know, when you guys say that we should adopt the or permit standard for what it is to employ are you really talking about something like the ABC test? And we all looked at each other and said, uh, yeah, of course that's what we Yeah, we're- of course. <laughs> <You> know, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. that works. Let me, look, yeah, let me look that up really quickly. And yes, yes, that is exactly <laughs> what we're saying. But, um, you know, the truth was that ABC was a kind of decent proxy for, suffer permit in the sense that suffer a permit was really intended to be a really broad standard that would wrap most service arrangements into employment um in California I mean you know that and that really does seem to have been you know the intention back in the day you know in the turn of the century in 1900s when these wage orders were promulgated so you know um it was i think without abc I just can't imagine how we could have won the case, and I always knew that we would have to come up with something practical as a way of defining employment, um, much more so than the broad sufferer permit. Um, but I think I think the Supreme Court, for its part, saw what you know what we described as a as kind of a a, a sort of wild wild west out there where companies were using independent contractors in such broadly different ways to the point where some companies were trying to compete with other companies in the same industry where one company would have employees and the other would have effectively a, a, a um, staff or a workforce of independent contractors and they couldn't compete. And I think the Supreme Court said this was never intended, independent contracting, was never intended to be a a. a, a, a substitute for a workforce. I mean, the idea was that these would be, you know, individualized, unique situations, not, hey, if I decide my whole workforce is independent contractors, boy, that saves me a lot of money. And by the way, you know, in the old adage of bad facts, bad law, I mean, at least from a, um, I think it's great law, <laughs> but for, for, from the perspective of obviously employers, um, it, it puts new burdens on them. But, um You know, the truth was, in our case, the facts were really bad. The facts were that we had an entire workforce of truckers who, at the end of 2003, I believe, were all employees. And then on January 1st, they became independent contractors. Suddenly, they're entrepreneurs. And, you know, of course, the court found that to be um, not, you know, didn't seem very substantial as a basis to, to, to classify people.
1: Well, I wouldn't think so. Well, and that was one of the interesting things I thought. There's a lot of things that I thought were interesting about the case, but one of them being this idea as I was reading through that the term independent contractor really has been hijacked. That concept really has been hijacked because it doesn't mean what it used to mean. So even in the case, it talks about it being applied, you know, to an individual worker, right, who has independently made the decision to go into business. And I love the way they phrase that because that is not how it is now – Anytime a client calls and asks about, you know, prior to all this, right, it was all about, well, I'm going to hire this person as an independent contractor, and I need to tell them to go uh, incorporate or do an LLC, right?
2: <laughs> like, you know what? That is No, a, the idea is you're not um, going to
1: tell them to go into business so that they can work for you.
2: <laughs> that's that's a super insightful point um, you're making. And actually, frankly, something I, I, um, I forgot to mention in terms of those bad facts. Because I, I think the court saw a lot of significance in that. That, that was something I actually brought up in the argument, um, which was that the lack of an organic um, creation of the independent contractor relationship has got to be viewed with suspicion, right? If let's Just like you're saying, I mean, if if you've got a person who's already created a business and comes to you as a hirer, um, as an independent contractor, that's so different then when, like you just said, you say to somebody, oh, you know, I'd love to hire you, but you'll have to be an independent contractor. So here's what you'll have to do. Uh, here's a package and go out and create yourself, you know, and it's, it's just not organic. And it's, and it, you know, the truth of the matter is those situations, I think, give rise to a lot of um, skepticism uh, by a court as to the validity of the, you know, the true uh, independent uh, nature of the, of the work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. We are—if you can believe—we're we running out of time, and I want to yeah. get your thoughts on. Um, I want to get your thoughts on AB five, and I, in preparing for this show, I went—I was kind of going back and looking at things, and I, I thought it was really interesting that um, y- you know this idea that um, the case ends with concluding that. Uh, it was a statement by the court that they felt that their decision in the dynamics case was going to provide greater clarity and consistency, less opportunity for manipulation and a test or standard that requires consideration uh, that uh, as opposed to a test that inc- requires all this weighing of the factors and, and, you know, different factors on a case-by-case basis. And I I was really excited because I thought it did that as well. I I think when you and I were preparing for the show, I mentioned to you that I thought it was great that finally, from a practitioner standpoint, you could give a more definitive answer when a client came to you and said, or an employee came to you and said, am I an independent contractor or is this person an independent contractor? Because it gave clarity. Yep. ABC, yes or no. Great yep. examples, you know, in the case and all that. Um, but then, of course, that lasted almost less than a year because, dun dun dun, there was AB five. So tell me in our right. in our last few minutes here, tell me your thoughts on AB five.
2: Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I to begin with, I agree with you that at least arguably some, you know, employers could be happy with with more structure. And again, that was another thing that the Supreme Court. I think was was looking at um, was this idea of, you know, we talked about Borello and all the factors and how if you ever go to trial in a Borrello case, you end up handing the jury this pile of stuff. And then you say, okay some of these are important uh, more than others, like control. But ultimately, it's up to you to decide, (laughs) you know, it's like, what, Uh, what, what, I don't know. So, um, you know, AB5, I think, was a is a well-intended attempt to um, simply, you know, codify, uh, the decision and dynamics. I think it's designed to be worker friendly. I think that it needs, you know, it it will continue to evolve. I mean, I, I certainly, I know a lot of musicians and I understand that the musicians are finally going to be, um, carved out of it. I think they should have been from the beginning. I mean, to be honest, I think musicians are uh, (laughs) one of the few areas where I think, you know, probably I and the defense bar would all agree, uh, those people really do kind of meet most of the criteria for being a legitimate independent contractor. You know, they have a specialized skill. um, They have their own business. They have their own, you know, they bring their instruments, literally. Um, I think, you know, there are obviously a lot of carve-outs in AB5. I mean, an interesting aspect of AB5, of course, is that it went, um, you know, if you're inside baseball, you know, lawyers uh, who do this like we do, you also know it really extended dynamics in a pro- you know, profound way by extending it to the entire labor code as opposed to dynamics itself, which was based on a, an interpretation of the wage orders. So, you know, we in the dynamics case itself, after winning, we're still faced with a major question about whether uh, the, the really most valuable claims we had, which were 2802 claims under the labor code for unreimbursed business expenses, as you can imagine, that's really a big claim for truckers, if that would be determined under the historical Borello or Dynamics. And to be honest, I think the, you know, the better argument uh, was going to be that, that it would have to be under the old standard because the court had kind of even looked at it in our case and sort of said, well, you know, that's for another day, but but overall, the suggestion was that our case was about the wage orders, not the labor code, unless the labor code provision in question was clearly a provision that had arisen from the labor code. So, you know, if it weren't one of those basic, um, you know, provisions of the labor code, like minimum wage... Um, that clearly was part of the wage orders back in the day, um, then you would presumably have to, you know, you could have a trial with with, with two different standards of employment, you know, depending on the claim. So, you know, I think think AB5 wanted to just clear the air and, you know, apply the decision, the ABC test, to pretty much all of employment in California. But there are lots of carve-outs for sure. And you know, I think there's still some questions about um, retroactivity, and um, there's obviously some of the sunsets. I believe you know, there's a 2023 provision sunsetting, and um, there's some areas that still are explicitly covered by um, Borello. So it's uh, you know, it's certainly it's an area that could occupy some lawyers almost completely. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I I do thought I thought that was really interesting about the, you know, the wage order and it just sort of became a side issue all of a sudden. Um, you know, a lot of us that were working with it when the case came out, we I came to the same conclusion. i was like, well, there are two different standards because, you know, it clearly talks about the wage orders, but it's interesting how that just sort of got glossed over and it all sort of got lumped in together. Um, Kevin, we have like Two seconds left, and um, I really want to bring you back at some point so we can talk more about this because uh, there's so much to talk about. We haven't even touched on. But give us your your thoughts, your words of wisdom on uh, the future of the workforce in light of all of this uh, as we wrap up.
2: Well, I you know I I wrote an article um, in the San Francisco Chronicle you know maybe a year ago, and what I believe is that employment relationships are need to and, and should evolve. I, I'm not somebody saying that, you know, the historical conventional employment is exclusively the way people should be able to arrange their relationships. But I think, you know, I'll add to it, I think COVID-19 has really opened some people's eyes about the extent or not of the, you know, social safety net. And how you monetize that, um, because if you've got a bunch of people out there who are acting as independent contractors and not paying into a system that provides for unemployment and health care, et cetera, and then suddenly, you know, are essentially on a humanitarian basis in need, I think it's kind of brought some of these issues to a, you know, kind of a, the, 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 the people that predicted this kind of thing, you know, are being, you know, shown to have, have had a point, you know, and the Supreme court, by the way, had said in, in dynamics, that that was one of the biggest issues to them was that, that there was a lack of fairness in how these kinds of basic, um, aspects of, of, you know, safety net were being paid for, you know, and some companies were kind of, kind of just, you know, giving themselves a pass. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's gonna. I think they're gonna be something in between. You know, I think there will be something, and and maybe that's gonna be reflected in that new, um, uh, the the initiative that uh, Uber and Lyft are are proposing. You know, which has certain protections, but it's not full blown employment. So we'll we'll see.
1: Yeah, we didn't even get to talk about that, the app-based driver's regulation. Kevin, I want to thank you so much. That's our show for today. I want to thank you again so much for joining me and sharing your thoughts uh, and your experience with the case with all of our listeners. I really appreciate it.
2: Teresa, great talking to you. Great job.
1: Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about Kevin, you can find him about – you can find more about him and his firm uh, on the web at www.glancylaw.com. That's G-L-A-N-C-Y-L-A-W.com. You can also connect with Kevin via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I want to also thank our listeners, My Radio Angels, James and the Knave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, engineer-producer Paul Roberts, our associate producer Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.